I don't know what you're like at keeping a secret. Um, I remember when um, my children, Alistair, Shona and Kirsty, were younger. Um, they were terrible at keeping a secret, especially when it came to buying a birthday present for the mum or the dad. Um, the whole excitement of keeping it secret was just, just too much for them. So they'd often come and come in from a shopping trip and they'd say, Dad, I can't tell you that we bought you a scarf. Shh! <laughs> and as they got a bit older, um, they got a bit better at keeping the secret, um, usually up to the point about one second before you opened the present and it would just all get far too much and they go, It's a jumper! <laughs> um, but the idea of, of keeping a secret when we're involved in giving is something we're going to look at in today's passage um, as we continue reading in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But it's not a birthday surprise we're going to be talking about. We're going to be challenged about our giving uh, to God and his work. And we'll ask some searching questions about what motivates us to give uh, and also um, what areas might have to change in this vital area of Christian living in our, in our lives. So a quick context before we read our verses. Um, we're now in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus outlines God's kingdom standards and contrasts them with the religious outlook of the day. And so far we've looked at the kind of people Christians should be, how we should live in our neighbourhoods and how we should impact our neighbourhoods and the different standards that we should be living by. Um, And the fact also that our faith needs to go beyond actions and words and actually change our hearts and minds, even as we heard last week from Stuart, to love our enemies just as God has loved us. Now, in this next section in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about three things, three distinct areas, giving, prayer, and fasting. And these are things that his Jewish hearers um, would recognize as being good, good things to do. Religious Jews would practice these three spiritual disciplines regularly. But here again, Jesus raises the standard. It's not about the outward act, but what is going on in our heart that counts. And we'll look at prayer and fasting uh, in the next two weeks, but today we're going to think about giving. So let's, let's read Matthew chapter 6 and verses 1 to 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So we're going to look at our motivation in giving, and in particular, three things that should help our motivation to give. Give because there's a clear need. Give, but remember, it's not about you. And give because it pleases God. And as we look at these three points, we'll try and learn what it tells us about the character of God and what it tells us about the human condition. And we'll ask, what do I need to change? And sometimes I think when we approach the subject of giving, we quite quickly get bogged down into, well, how much should I give? And this kind of, kind of Christian legalism comes out about how much is enough. And I think if we fall into that trap of seeing it as a kind of legal duty, then we'll miss the point of giving. If we get our motivation right, then I believe our thinking will be transformed and generous giving will flow from that. So that's what we're going to focus on, the motivation to give. 
So the first aspect that should guide our motivation to give is because there's a clear need. Giving to the poor was a, a Jew's sacred duty. Um, that was their version of the welfare state. Everyone was supposed to support the poor through giving at the temple. So let's make the, the really obvious point uh, straight away. Jesus didn't say in verse 2, if you give to the needy, but when you give to the needy. On another occasion, Jesus pointed out the poor would always be with us, and so the need to give our money is an ongoing necessity. Who was it that Jesus told John the Baptist that he had come to preach the good news to? The good news is proclaimed to the poor, he said. And if you spend any time reading in the Old Testament at all, you'll see that God's heart is for the poor. The Old Testament law is full of commands and laws to look out for the poor and to be generous. There will always be poor people in the land, we read in Deuteronomy 15. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. And the agricultural laws cover this in a really practical way. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord, your God. And then King David sums up in many of his psalms when he says, you evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. So we should be motivated to give because there's just so much need to give to among the poor. And, and while it's certainly true that we live in one of the richest countries in the world with certain protections for the poorest in society, it's certainly by no means a foolproof system. There's real need in Newcastle today. Just speak to Linda for two minutes. People going hungry, a rise in food bank usage, personal debt increasing. And that's some of the reasons that as a church three years ago we decided to set up a CAP debt centre. The Trussell Trust's most recent stats uh, show that in the UK in a six-month period in 2018, way more than half a million people needed emergency food supplies. And for that same period about five years ago, it showed about half that number. And it's estimated that tonight about 5,000 people will sleep rough in the UK. And if we consider the need for giving uh, overseas, not just in the UK, then it's crystal clear that Jesus' words about the poor always being with us is still universally true today. Alongside the need um, for the poor, there is an expectation in the New Testament too that we give to God's work in the local church. It's worth remembering that it's an organisation that is wholly sustained by the giving of its members. Now, I know in previous centuries, if we look into church history, that funding became a bit murky at times as the state got involved in uh, using the church's power to get money from people and coercing fundraising. More recently, in the 1980s, there was the rise of the televangelists who became infamous for using their appeals um, to fund lifestyles that were far short of their pious words, and, and that still goes on today, sadly. But God's work has always progressed through his people sharing God's word helping the poor, meeting in the local church and gathering for worship as we've done today, including the giving of money. In our context here at Regent, that means there's a need to pay staff salaries, to maintain the building, to run ministries and events, and God willing to extend this building in the near future. So our motivation to give should be because there's a clear need to give to. And we talked um, at the start about the spiritual discipline of giving, the Jews called it 
almsgiving. And as we'll see, this had been twisted into being uh, something about the giver and not the giving. And we'll look at that in, in a minute. So Jesus expects us to give to God's work. And that's something that's quite easy for us to check uh, on how we're doing in that area. Money is, is one helpful measurement to find out if I'm really putting my Christian beliefs into practice. What does my credit card bill or my bank account tell me about where I am spending my money? When I run my eye down the list of purchases and direct debits, are they all just for me or my family? Do my food treats or my sporting ticket purchases or music buys, do they dominate to the exclusion of my giving? Is there a standing order to church here? If so, do you review it each year, perhaps if your salary is increased? If a stranger was to look over your financial outgoings, would there be an indication that this person is generous to other people? Would it be obvious that this person is living by a different set of standards? Where do the poor and the needy feature in your priorities? The New Testament talks about setting aside a sum of money on the first day of every week in keeping with your income. And this is where I find standing orders really helpful in maintaining that regular disciplined giving Spontaneous acts of generosity are great, you know, responding to a need, feeling our heart moved by a situation, but regular giving in keeping with our income, a spiritual discipline. I wonder how we're doing in this area. Perhaps, if I could suggest, one of the reasons why we might not be doing so well in this area is that sometimes we don't feel very wealthy. I don't want to make light of that fact. The cost of living in the UK has risen in recent years, uh, and certainly those in the public sector haven't seen wages keep up with that. Some people here today probably are in difficult financial situations. If you're living on benefits, if you're being paid the minimum wage, or you only have a small pension, then things will be a struggle. But if that doesn't describe your situation, then I wonder if there's a tendency for us all to look at our wealth in comparison with those who have more money than us, or bosses at work, those people living in the big houses in Darris Hall, they've got a lot of money, haven't they? The footballers at St James's Park, yes, Hosselu really does earn more in one week than I earn in a whole year. So unfair. Or that seven-year-old kid who's a multi-millionaire through advertising toys on YouTube. That is really a thing, by the way. I agree that there's people out there who really seem to have a lot of scope to give money away. But according to the Global Rich List website, which, which I believe is a reputable website, if you earn around £20,000 per year, you are in the top 3% of the world by income. If you earn £25,000 a year, you're in the top 2% of the world by income. And if you reach £33,000 a year, you are in the top 1% by income. Another measure which allows for the high cost of living in the UK, sort of equalises out some of those income variations, states that if you are two adults with two children and you have a net household income of £33,000, you are in the richest 10% of the world's population living on 11 times the global household average. And if you're a single person and you earn the median UK salary of 29,000, you're in the top 5% of the world's richest people. 
Now, I know enough about statistics um, that there's always a lot of qualifications and caveats to keep in mind when we look at that kind of data, so we have to be a bit careful. I even had Paul uh, fact-check this part of the sermon to make sure I wasn't giving you any fake news. Um, but hopefully you take the point I'm making. We might not feel very wealthy when we look upwards at others, especially many of those people in the news, but the fact is God has placed us in a country at a time when if we have a full-time job, then we probably have wealth that most of the world will never know. And so there's a responsibility on us to use that wealth wisely. I do understand we might be feeling the squeeze, but let's keep it in that global context. Jesus' words again in Luke 21 should really challenge our thinking in this area. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he also saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these, out of their abundance, have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary in India for 55 years, famously said... You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And Paul the Apostle's words uh, in Corinthians summarize what I'm trying to say. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves you when you give cheerfully. That's really encouraging. Give because there's a clear need. That's our first motivation. Okay, the next thing um, Jesus wants to remind us is that our giving should be motivated by the fact that it's not about us. Now, you might say, well, that's a kind of obvious point to make. I'm giving money away for other people. You know, that's not about us, right? Except we see the human condition uh, laid bare once again in this passage. The Pharisees had turned what was meant to be a charitable act of giving to the needy into a competition for who could be seen to receive the most praise. It was like they were turning up with a big trumpet, blowing it as loud as they could to get everybody's attention and then proudly putting their money into the temple baskets. Hashtag check my giving. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But it's the reality of our sinfulness that often, even when we're trying to do good, mixed motives creep in. Well done me. I wonder if I'm the person that gives the most in church. Or perhaps the half-hearted giver. Well, I suppose it's the right thing to do. Sometimes even in the very act of giving, we are meant to be thinking of others, we end up thinking about ourselves. And so we turn what is meant to be for the good of others into the good of ourselves, from altruism to egotism. And God is interested in forming our characters. The Holy Spirit wants to see the fruit of his work in our lives. And we're all a work in progress, aren't we? God doesn't want us to be full of pride and vanity. So far from the ostentatious displays of the Pharisees, our personal giving should be a secret thing. And there are a number of reasons why that is really important, uh, apart from the avoidance of, of pride. Firstly, God knows that if our care for those in need is only motivated by a desire to get praise from others, then we won't really be in it for the long haul. Something else will come along that we can kind of massage our ego and feel proud about shortly. 
we'll probably just be giving out of our surplus wealth. Secondly, those who give out of a desire to recognise are really seeking popularity. And popularity is a tool of power. If people believe you are generous, then they're more likely to trust you. And if they trust you, they're more likely to do business with you. So for some wealthy people, they are given merely to get the respect of their peers and their local community. Or if I supply another person's needs, especially when I'm being recognised for doing it, the person I give to will feel indebted to me. At the very least, they'll be forced to compromise some dignity in accepting my charity. So it stops being about blessing someone else. And when I was thinking of giving with strings attached, you might call it, I was reminded of this story. Um, Boya Jensen, who uh, a lot of us will remember from his time in Newcastle. Um, he was here for a few years with, with um, Freya and Rebecca. And there were two, two girls since then there. He told me of a time when he was uh, in Copenhagen, living in Copenhagen. And he'd been invited round to a Danish family's house for a barbecue. Uh, and he said, um, it was a sunny afternoon, a beautiful house, lovely garden in the very exclusive part of Copenhagen. But Boya said to me, the occasion was ruined by the dad of the family telling Boya at every possible opportunity how much money he'd spent on the barbecue. And he kept going on about how expensive meat was in Copenhagen. And Copenhagen is a really expensive city, there's, there's no doubt about that. He spent the equivalent of £60 in Danish krona. And he kept going on and on about this. And the more he mentioned it, the less Boya felt like eating any of the food. Now, if you remember Boya, he was, um, how can we put it politely, quite a direct kind of guy. Um, maybe a bit impetuous at times. So when he got home... He put the equivalent of £60 in Danish krona and posted it to the guy's letterbox. <laughs> and that was the end of a beautiful friendship, he tells me. <laughs> but our guiding principle should be that we give in private. While there might be times to make exceptions to that principle, we must only make them for the sake of God's glory. And we must continue to give him the glory if we're recognised in that way. Contrast that with the, the hypocritical Pharisees then, giving in public with a fanfare to get praise and favour. John the Baptist summed up their approach when he said they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And that's why Jesus calls them hypocrites, literally play actors, putting aside their true identity and taking on a false one. And that's fine, isn't it? On a stage or in a film, we, we kind of get the deal there and the audience understands what's going on there. These people are acting. The problem is the religious hypocrite deliberately seeks to deceive. They take a real activity which is meant for the good of others, and they turn it into a display meant for their ego. Being a hypocrite is about pretending to be someone that you're not. And let's be honest, it's a lot easier to pose as a good guy than to actually be one. I wonder if we are known as people who blow our own trumpets. Do our social media posts seek to trumpet our greatest achievements? Are we quick to talk about our own generosity to others? Contrast that with Christian giving. Not only are we not to tell others, in a sense, we're not to tell ourselves. Verse 3 says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And Jesus isn't recommending that we try and write checks with our eyes closed here, by the way. Um, but he does mean don't be self-conscious about your giving and don't dwell on it, as that can quickly lead to self-congratulation. Now, we have a bit of a, bit of a family joke uh, in the outside of the family about my mum. Um, she's a very generous person and she's always uh, you know, buying gifts and birthday presents and probably if you meet her for 10 minutes she'll be on the birthday card list if you're not careful. 
Um, but the joke is, when she comes to visit, uh, she'll always be complimenting you on that new plant in the garden, or I like the top you're wearing, and that picture's lovely, completely forgetting that it was her that gave it to you in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> and in a sense, that is kind of how we should be about our giving. We give, and we move on, and we give again. So at this point, I want to kind of just say a few words really about how we manage the giving of money in, in this church, be a kind of a bit practical, a bit technical, uh, and how we try and fulfill the spirit of these uh, verses we're thinking about. It's important to contrast two competing needs in the handling of money in church. Firstly, there's the need for transparency and to have safeguards in place so we can be sure that the money given is handled properly and used appropriately. This is achieved in a number of ways. At Regent, we have seven trustees who review the finances at quarterly meetings. The elders review the finances on a, on a monthly basis too. Invoices or salary payments from the bank account require two trustees to authorise the payments. Uh, at church members' meetings, a report is given on the finances and any church member is welcome to ask for a copy of the accounts at any time. Our accounts are also independently examined by a chartered accountant who isn't part of this church and a summary is posted each year on the UK Charity Commission website in line with charity regulations. So that's how we do transparency, and that's important. But alongside that, the giving of each member is a matter between them and God. While we do encourage members to give by standing order, that involves some paperwork and a certain loss of anonymity. But that's only handled by the church member and Paul Mullis, the treasurer. And the only reason Paul has to handle it is to access information to administer gift aid which brings in about £20,000 a year to this church so it's a, it's a good use of God's money and although the trustees have a legal right to um, access the bank account we make a point not to check the online details of who is giving what for anyone who wants to give money via cash as we've done this morning then of course the weekly collection is anonymously into a bag so in the practical administration of giving in this church we try and meet the spirit of this teaching to give in secret. And I should take this opportunity to say those of us involved in managing uh, the spending of church funds constantly give thanks to God for the generosity of God's people. We've seen in previous weeks um, on the subject of murder and adultery, Jesus asked us to look into the secret places of our hearts and our minds. And here he asked us not what are we giving, but what are we thinking while we're giving? Are we seeking the praise of others or are we seeking God's approval? Giving should be business as usual for the Christian. This is following in Christ's steps, laying down our life. This is really loving our neighbour as ourself. How spiritually healthy are you in this area? Winston Churchill, Britain's great wartime Prime Minister and provider of many stirring quotes, once said, we make a living by what we get, we make a life by what we give. Okay, we give because there is a great need. We give while remembering it's not about us. And thirdly, we give because it pleases God. Three times in these four verses, we see the idea of a reward from God mentioned twice it's about having no reward because as we've seen our motivation is all wrong verse 2 they have received their reward 
in full. And the Greek word used here is apecho, and it's used in the commercial sense of payment in full, complete with a receipt. Nothing further is due to them. The person's ego has been gratified, and that is their reward. But what happens when we do our giving in secret? Well, the only audience then is God. Verse 4, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Giving in secret means that God gets to decide decide on the reward. He's in charge, not us. Giving in public means we are in charge of creating and getting our reward, the praise or respect of others. But we shouldn't think it's a case of £10 here is £10 in the bank of heaven. God is no man's debtor, that's for certain. So in that sense... We can't outgive God. How can we when He's already given us His all? Romans 11 asks the question Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. And yet, in God's grace, Jesus promises to reward our faithfulness in giving. So is it wrong to desire rewards from God rather than men? Are we not just swapping one kind of vanity for another? Should we not just give purely for the sake of giving and expect nothing in return? Well, the New Testament does actually say a lot about rewards in heaven and storing up our treasure there. Seeking God's blessing as a faithful servant is certainly not wrong. And there's a whole other sermon on that subject for another day. But I think one of the rewards that God gives us is this. The discovery that as we see a need met, the poor helped, a church building extended, a missionary supported to take the gospel elsewhere, we understand fully Jesus' words. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That is the heart of the gospel, after all. Jesus gave us all for us. The American writer Jackson Brown is not an expert on the human psyche as far as I know, but I think he reflected Jesus' words when he wrote... Remember that the happiest people are not those getting more, but those giving more. One of the other rewards that we experience is a change within us. People have likened the act of giving to a muscle. The more we use it, the stronger it gets. And as we give to God's work, I believe that God creates in us a spirit of generosity and an ability to give more than we thought we could. And not just in the area of financial giving either. If you long to be a Christian this morning who is more caring, more generous, then take God at his word and strive to give more to his work. I once had a really memorable um, summary of the Good Samaritan. It's, it's a talk that stayed with me for years. And maybe you've heard this summary. I might even have quoted it before. But I think it sums up the spirit of giving that God wants us to have. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan, of course. Um, Stuart referenced it last week when he spoke about loving our enemies, didn't he? A man was on a journey to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers, beaten up, stuff stolen from him, left half dead. Then the, the good guys, the priest and the Levite, come along and they see the sorry scene pass by on the other side. And then finally the Samaritan comes along and surprisingly patches the person up, takes him to the inn, pays all his bills. And the speaker uh, of many years ago summarised it brilliantly like this. There are three kinds of people in this story. Firstly, the robbers and their attitude to life is, what's yours is mine and I'll take it. 
And I guess we've all met people in life like that, haven't we? Once we've spent a bit of time with them, we kind of feel a bit drained and probably our wallets are a little bit lighter and they're quick to take from you, but they don't give anything back. What's yours is mine and I'll take it. And then there's the priests and the Levites attitude, which can be summarized as what's mine is mine and I'll keep it. Their hands hold tightly onto their stuff. They never want to get involved in other people's messy lives. They've not got time to help you or give you money. What's mine is mine and I'll keep it. And lastly, there's the Samaritan and his attitude is very different. What's mine is yours and I'll give it. That is the attitude that Jesus wants us to be motivated by in our giving. There was no great crowd of witnesses in the story Jesus told. The Samaritan came across the man on his own and helped him. Simple as that. Maybe this week God will give you an opportunity, present you with someone who we need to give our time to or our money or our energy to help. Will we take it? So playing a part in God's kingdom through giving is not some kind of abstract spiritual concept as we've seen. It's a tangible thing we can see and feel. And while our giving may be in secret, the rewards can often be seen clearly. Last year we we celebrated, didn't we, the 80 years of life of this church. Uh, And so much of what we see around us is down to people who gave faithfully and generously over those eight decades you know, they gave to put up the building we're in now. People gave to extend it two or three times already. The audio-visual equipment was through people giving. The chairs we sit on, the staff who work here for the benefit of the church, they're all employed as a result of people giving. But as we remember that the church is not a building, it's a group of living people, then we can see that unbroken connection going all the way back to 1938. And when Lucy spoke to, to Margaret Seymour on the phone, Uh, someone who can remember back to those early days of the church, she was so encouraged to hear that Regent Chapel was still seeing people saved, seeing people baptised and seeing people joining the church. These are all signs that God is at work and that Christians are giving in obedience to his commands. So our motivation should be we are working for God's reward and not man's praise. As the famous song, Be Thou My Vision, puts it, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, thou my inheritance, both now and always, thou and thou only first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. So to summarise all this together, the book of James tells us God's word is like a, a mirror. Elsewhere we're told to renew our minds as we listen to God's word. So What are Jesus' words telling us here today? What are they showing up in our lives that we need to rethink? Let's be be real with each other and be honest and say, it is hard to let God's word land in our lives and to make a change as we hear the Bible speak. There's many occasions in the New Testament where we're warned about the trap that money can be, how it's easy to love money instead of God, and that can be hard to give away money. But do we recognise the needs of the poor in our world? Do we recognise the need to give generously to God's work? Jesus said, when you give, not if you give. Our acts of righteousness, they need to be practised. It shouldn't just happen when we feel like it's a plan you're giving. Being spontaneous doesn't often lead to long-term giving and commitment. 
Maybe we need to review that standing order to church. It's wisely been said that God gives us more money not to improve our standard of living, but to improve our standard of giving. Or maybe you've come to the church for a long time and you've never really given regularly. I can say I honestly don't know if that applies to anyone here for the reasons I mentioned earlier. But it's never too late to put that right. The spiritual discipline of giving will be a blessing on your life and on this church. Start when you're young. When you have little, give away something. I doubt you'll learn to give when you have much unless you do that. Giving is like a muscle that needs to be exercised regularly. Maybe if you're giving just pocket money, get into the habit of giving some of that away or using it to benefit other people. Faith in action is giving to God in secret. And if you do that, I'm certain God will bless you. But don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' words. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and the fact that it's like a mirror on our lives. Lord, we just pray that as we have thought about the motivation in our hearts to give and to give to the poor and the needy and to your work, Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts in this area. Lord, help us to be honest and to review how we treat money. Lord, we want to bless you and to bless others. We want to have lives that give and give again. And so we pray that this morning um, you would speak into our lives and give us opportunities in the weeks ahead, perhaps to change how we plan our giving or to perhaps look for opportunities just to help people at their point of need. Father, we thank you that as we do that, we are imitating you, Jesus, the one who gave it all. And we bless you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.